Hey guys, it's Jesse. Before we get today's episode started, we're going to do something brand new that we've not done before. And that's that I am asking all of our listeners to please join us in prayer. Coming up on April 7th is the application deadline for our Urban Missions Program, what we call the LTN Intensive. We are in need of young adults to come and to serve with us this summer. There are ministries all over our city that are truly in need of young adults to come serve. There are so many neighbors in our city that need relationships with young adults. Scripture tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. And so we're asking each of you to please take a moment and to pray for this, that God would send laborers to come and be a part of what he's doing here in our city. If you'd like to understand more about our Urban Missions Program, you can actually head over to our website, lovethyneighborhood.org, and you can learn all about the LTN Institute and the LTN Intensive, two programs that we offer for young adults. So wherever you are, before you listen to this program, we ask that you would please just take a moment, stop what you're doing, pray, and ask God to bring this. Our city needs it. Young adults need it. And so we would like to see this come to pass. So with that being said, Thank you all. And now, on to the episode. Love thy neighborhood. Okay. Oh, cool. Oh, definitely. <laughs> awesome. Discipleship and missions. Mission. For, For modern, modern times. Wilmore, Kentucky is a quaint little town. Around 6,000 residents. One elementary school, one hotel, one traffic light, two coffee shops. The culture is largely a mix of blue collar and academics. Mechanics, farmers, shop owners, next to seminary professors and university students. But about two months ago, the stillness of this rural town was transformed. The New York Times reported that during a two-week span, over 50,000 people all converged on Wilmore, eight times more than the population. To put that in perspective, one modern cruise ship holds around 3,000 people. This tiny town suddenly had the equivalent of 16 cruise ships barreling through their quiet streets. And from the outside, through the internet and social media, you may have heard all of this this massive worship service. Watch what happens. Good news story to start off. I know I'm not the only one that Some have called it a Christian revival. But that's actually getting ahead of ourselves. Because every event has a beginning. Before the crowds of people, before the news segments, before the social media frenzy, there was day one, February 8th, 2023. The spark no one saw coming that would ignite a defining moment in the lives of tens of thousands of people, and what would quickly become known as the Asbury Revival. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Anna Tran. Today's episode, the origin and outpouring of the Asbury Revival. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, Anna, I just have to say, like, I do remember, like, there was this point at which, like, my social media feed was just being taken over with clips from Asbury. Yeah, I mean, I'm not on social media that much, but even I saw some stuff on, like, Facebook or Instagram, and it's a lot to sift through. But I think for today's episode, I want to just kind of cut through all of that digital noise and get right to the original voices. Wait, wait, what do you mean by original voices? Yeah, the voices of the students and faculty who were actually there, just right there in the thick of it. And speaking of being in the thick of it, I think the best place to start is with... Lena Marlowe. I am a senior. Lena is African-American. She's studying sociology at Asbury. And I'm also doing the social work track. And for some context, 
Asbury University is a private, non-denominational Christian university in Wilmore, Kentucky. It was founded in the late 1800s, has about 1,600 students. And this can be really overwhelming for someone trying to find their way in the world. You know, moving out of the house for the first time onto a campus of 1,600 strangers. And this is why Lena joined Asbury's Gospel Choir her freshman year. She said that the Gospel Choir, they became like family to her when she would have a tough week. Just a week of like stress and hopelessness and fear of like exams and stuff. But those Fridays at four o'clock, time has never changed. So the gospel choir often practiced at four on Fridays. And she really looked forward to that time together. Now, occasionally the gospel choir would be asked to sing at Asbury's weekly chapel. And that actually brings us to what I'm going to call day zero. It's Tuesday night, February 7th, 2023, around 8 p.m. Lena and the rest of the gospel choir are wrapping up their rehearsal for chapel the next morning. But as the group is about to dismiss, the choir director suggests that they take some time to pray for each person who's going to come through the doors the next day. Lena and the other choir members, they make their way off the stage and... We literally placed our hand on seats and prayed. We pray for God to just do a new thing and to bring reconciliation and to just pour out his spirit. The choir members, they placed their hands on each seat, one at a time, and they just prayed. God, reconcile us. God, show yourself to this person. God, show us the power of your spirit. And though Lena's prayers were sincere for God to pour out his spirit, she had prayed these types of prayers plenty of times before without any significant ripples to her life. So... Eventually, she heads home, she goes to sleep, with no idea of what's about to happen. And that brings us to day one, 7 a.m. Lena begins her morning as per usual. I usually read a psalm as I'm like either preparing a quick breakfast or doing my eyebrows or whatever. I had an 8 a.m. class. She wraps up her first class and then makes her way over to Hughes Chapel, where the weekly chapel service is held. 9.15, get to Hughes. The gospel choir does a sound check. The speaker does a sound check. The program leader gives a rundown of the program. 9.55, we all come together on the stage and we pray. At this point, Lita and the choir are ready to go. They're waiting on stage. We're on risers. If you're in the crowd, gospel choir was on the right. Behind them, you can see the huge, dull silver pipes of the organ. Students are filing in. There's a buzz of conversation in the room. And then, at 11 o'clock, the gospel choir begins to lead the time of worship. And when the time of worship finishes, someone gets up and prays, and they introduce the speaker. In Romans 12, the Holy Spirit moving in our midst. Revive us by your love. Amen. After the speaker concludes, three members of the gospel choir, including Lena, come back up and sing two more songs. Lena said that chapel usually lets out at around 10.50, but this time... It actually finished really early, like maybe 10.35. The campus pastor came up. Greg Hasselhoff, he dismissed and prayed out. Students get up, they start to leave, and the members of the gospel choir start to sing their final song as people exit. And so far, everything about the chapel service is very typical, nothing out of the ordinary. But then, a tiny thing happens that in the moment seems relatively inconsequential. We finish the song, but we felt led by the Spirit to keep singing. And so, they did. And we didn't even look at each other while we were singing. And they kept singing. One more song, that flowed into another song, and then another, and then another. For actually nearly 45 minutes, they did not take a break from singing. They were just lost in worship. And at some point, they looked up and realized that some people actually stuck around. Not many, just a few. 
Maybe 15 students stayed. It looked scattered. The three members of the gospel choir, they stop singing and they make their way off stage. But they don't leave either. They just sit down and begin praying. Nobody was in the aisle yet. No one was by the stage yet. Everyone was like in their own seat. Lena said that it was almost like each student was in their own bubble. So whether that was just standing still and swaying, whether that was lifting our hands and singing the words, whether that was sitting down and journaling or just closing our eyes and praying. And it wasn't meant to be anything. No one was trying to prove a point or force an experience. This was just happening. It was more of like, this is just a sweet opportunity to just keep worshiping and like spending time with God. Another hour passes, they're praying, they're singing, they're journaling. And this is when Lena begins to realize that whatever her plans are for the day, they suddenly don't seem important. This is where she wanted to be. It started to step into the the realm of like, there was no time constraint. Oh my gosh, this is so beautiful. Like. I still don't understand exactly how this becomes a revival. Like, there's what, like, there's like 15 students and they're praying and they're singing. Like, how does this become what I saw online? Right. That's a great question. So let me just show you what began to happen. Because Lena's perspective isn't the only story happening in this moment. So let's rewind for a moment. Amen. Okay, we've gone back in time. We're back in chapel. The service has just dismissed. It's around 1035. And one of the students who sat in the service is Lexi Presta. Yes, I'm here. Lexi actually leads the school's news outlet. I'm the executive editor. So when chapel is dismissed, like all of the other students, Lexi got up, she left. She actually has an 11 a.m. class in the basement of Hughes, which is in the building they're in, right underneath the chapel. And I'm talking with my friends, and so I say goodbye to them, and then I go downstairs, I put my bag in my chair, I even say to my professor, like, good morning, like, I'll be right back, I'm just going to the restroom. The building is pretty old, so sound just goes through the walls. So when she goes back to class... And all of a sudden I'm like, interesting. It's like, I can hear them singing still. And she thinks to herself, this is strange. That's not normal. Usually they cut it off like once everyone leaves. And I was like, are people still up there? I felt like literally so torn. I was literally like bouncing between like the balls of my feet. Like, do I go upstairs? Do I go to class? Do I go upstairs? Do I go to class? And I really feel the Holy Spirit just telling me, go upstairs. And I was like, okay. And so I went upstairs and... I peeked in. I was still kind of nervous. I'm like, oh no, like, I don't know what I'm walking into. So, so what does she see? Okay, remember, from Lena's point of view on the stage, she sees the faces of around, you know, 15 students scattered in their seats around the chapel. Now, Lexi is at the back of the chapel looking in, and from the back, she sees... There were, like, less than 20 students praying worshiping, already on their knees. Lexi said that she wasn't sure what to do, but she sees her resident director sitting in the front of a section of seats. So Lexi walks up to her. And I just felt the nudge to, like, ask for prayer because, like, I was dealing with um, just heartbreak, a lot of bitterness, and just, like, internal and external conflict that was just kind of overwhelming. So Lexi was experiencing some conflict with some of her friends, and she was just feeling pretty sad and anxious about it all. And this little nudge to make herself vulnerable and ask for prayer for healing, Christians asking each other for prayer becomes really foundational in the days to come. Not only for Lexi, but for everyone else too. And so her resident director prays with her, but then Lexi decides not to return to class. Instead, she gets up and goes and sits in the front row. 
I did not want to leave yet. Like, I, there was just something keeping me there. So at the same time as all of this is happening with Lexi, there's actually another person in the room. It was the campus pastor, Greg Hasselhoff. He was the one who actually closed the service in prayer after the service was over. There's plenty of times that I would leave, but I stuck around. And as Greg sat in the chapel after the service, watching the handful of students pray by themselves, then pray for each other and sing together, he said that the atmosphere felt different from other times that students would stay behind. What I might call a thicker presence of God, a more weighty encounter with the Holy Spirit in the midst of worship. So he was sitting close to the front, and then... 20 minutes after 11, probably a dozen of them moved from where they were spread off in their own in their own seats, and they all went to the altar at the same time. And within the next 20 or 30 minutes, we had a student that was asking if he could share a testimony. So he said, Pastor Greg, I, I really think I want to share some of my story. Is that okay? How would I do that? So in the same way that Lena and the gospel choir's small decision to keep singing, Greg's small decision and his willingness to encourage and facilitate the student sharing his story would also have a huge impact on what was to come. And so Greg helps the student share his story. He makes an announcement to the room and the student shares with everyone some of the difficult experiences he's been through in his life. And how in the midst of that, God really showed up and restored his hope and brought him out of that period. And Lexi is right there. She's with a few other friends who had also skipped class to join her. And then as soon it becomes like, it's like 11.50, you know, when my class was supposed to end. And we're like, we don't want to leave. I was like, but we need to eat lunch. (laughs) I I love that. That's that's very practical. Very practical. I know, right? So Lexi and her friend, they go eat lunch quickly. They immediately come back. And shortly after they return, the atmosphere in the chapel has actually shifted again. A lot more people were starting to come back. The reason for that is because at 1.30, our president had sent a message out. The email was actually very simple. Um, Here you go. You can read that, Jesse. Okay, it says, Asbury Community, it is a blessed thing when students, staff, and faculty stay in chapel to pray and worship, which is what we have experienced today. As your schedule allows, I write this as an invitation to come to Hughes this afternoon to join others in prayer and worship. Blessings to you all. Kevin J. Brown, PhD, President, Asbury University. Okay, so the president's email goes out. It's around 1.30. Both Lexi and Lena say that people start to text their friends and even start to tell other people in person. One of my closest friends, he and a few other people had run out across campus, like bursting into classrooms and was just like, you guys got to come to Hughes. Like, you got to see what God is doing. The Holy Spirit's moving. One of the people who heard about this was a student named Asher Broughton. He's a pre-med student at Asbury and a sophomore. He had actually skipped chapel that morning. I had an exam that morning when everything started. So as soon as my exam got over, I was mentally drained and I decided to skip chapel. He decides to do some chores in the early afternoon. And as Asher is trying to focus and get his chores done, He's getting interrupted by, like, his phone. It's, like, buzzing and... I kept getting text messages, and it was about 2 o'clock when, like, my schedule finally got open and free. He was actually in the middle of doing his laundry when he gets this text message from one of his best friends. It says, are you in chapel? You need to be bro. And he thinks to himself... All right, okay, I'll go check it out real quick. Asher, he sends a message back. I said, I'm on my way now. Just started my laundry. He leaves his laundry basket, he heads over to Hughes, and... By the time I walked in there, there was already probably over 100 students. And as soon as I walked in there, I was like, oh, my day just became clear. 
I knew that I wasn't going to go to any class. I wasn't going to go to any of my other commitments. Oh my gosh, this is really amazing. Okay, so we're saying like within three hours, it goes from like 15 students to now we're like we're like over 100 people. Like this crowd is growing. Yeah, it's moving fast. Okay, so what happened in the next few hours then? Okay, so by the time Asher gets to the chapel, Lena and Lexi are there too. They describe that the students are still singing, worshiping, some are kneeling, some are standing or sitting, some are on their own, others maybe in pairs praying for each other. Or just, you know, talking quietly. So Lena actually gets out her phone because she wants to document some of this. She actually describes some of the photos to me, along with the timestamps on them. 246, I have a picture of students that are just by the altar praying. 248, I took a picture of faculty members in the balcony holding hands. 330, there's a bunch of students entering cues and sharing scripture and testimony. 6 o'clock p.m., President Brown spoke. Water bottles are being brought in. Let me just pause for a second. I want to acknowledge that for each of these students, it was a deep personal experience for them. I think it's easy to think about young emotionalism, but students said that they were receiving healing and forgiveness. Well, what do you mean? Like, can you give me an example of that? Sure. So here's an example. When Asher walked into the chapel that afternoon, one of his friends approached him directly. He said to me, Asher, I don't know why, but God just told me that I need to tell you to let it go. And he just hugged me and he prayed over me. And after that, I was actually, <laughs> I was very confused and I was a little agitated because I'm like, God, what do you want me to let go? Asher, he sat down and he was praying about, you know, what could this message mean? What did he need to let go of? He sat and prayed for almost an hour. And then he realized it was connected to something pretty big in his life. He had just celebrated a year of sobriety. You know, Asher was into like drugs and drinking and it had hurt him and a lot of other people. He still felt horrible about himself whenever he thought about how he used to live. I still carried a bit of guilt and shame from my past into who I was right now. That I knew who I was in Christ, but I was still thinking that I wasn't as worthy as he tells me I am because of my past. I hadn't truly forgiven myself for the actions and the things that I had done. The Spirit really laid it on me. And I went up to the altar and (laughs) I bawled my eyes out. I was emotional. I just had my kind of moment of just confession. And he stayed there. Past 4 p.m., past dinner time, past 8 p.m., past midnight. I ended up leaving about 2.45 to 3 a.m. It felt literally like the snap of my fingers. Okay, remember the clothes that Asher had in the washer earlier? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, of course, his laundry. I forgot about it. That laundry did not come out of our community washer and dryer until about 24 hours later the next day when I left. Even Lexi stayed well into the evening. I didn't leave until like two or three in the morning. And although they were tired, you know, some students didn't want to leave the chapel. So instead of going to their dorms to sleep. Some of my friends brought mattresses and slept in the back. Um, There was hammocks put up between rafters. Like people were doing anything they could do to stay in that chapel. Yeah, like, I remember hearing from people that I trust who visited uh, saying that, like, you would walk into the chapel and it was both intensely peaceful and totally energizing at the same time. That is something I would want to be around all day. Yeah, and, like, the people who I talked to, they said it was wonderful. It was just so special. Like, it was just so peaceful. There was so much inner healing taking place, not just in me, but, like, in other people like my friends and classmates I didn't really know super well. But there's a catch. Something very modern is also taking place at the same time during this prayer and worship service. Because starting in the afternoon on day one, students begin doing what almost every young adult seems to be doing these days. They're documenting and sharing what's happening around them in the chapel. They're posting on their Instagram and TikTok stories. They're texting, sending photos to their friends. They want people to see what God is doing. And this, the presence of social media and instant communication, it ends up ushering in a new chapter to what is happening at Asbury. And there was this kind of thought of like, oh, 
we have a lot of people on their way here. When we come back, the first pilgrims arrive. Stay with us. Hey, this is Anna. I'm the program director for Love Thy Neighborhood. Love Thy Neighborhood is all about taking a step back from your day-to-day life and figuring out what it looks like to live like Jesus today in the city. Bring life and beauty into the community by serving the vulnerable and the poor. Live and work alongside other like-minded Christians and grow in your faith as you learn what it means to walk in the life and lifestyle of Jesus. Here's what some of our alumni have experienced. Allie Beth said that, Through LTN, I have gained a clearer idea of how to better partner with the existing organizations in my area in order to support what they are doing to love their neighbors and share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Are you trying to figure out what you want to do with your summer? If you're feeling restless and longing to connect and serve with other Christians, come serve with us at Love Thy Neighborhood this summer. April 7th is the final deadline for our summer intensive, and it's coming up fast. We want to walk with you and help you flourish as you faithfully pursue Jesus. Learn more about the summer intensive and apply before April 7th at lovethyneighborhood.org. Again, apply before April 7th at lovethyneighborhood.org. You're listening to the Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Anna Tran. Today's episode, the origin and outpouring of the Asbury Revival. So we've been following the timeline of three students at Asbury University, Lena, Lexi, and Asher. On Wednesday, February 8th, after a seemingly normal chapel service, hundreds of students returned to the chapel to pray, sing, and meet with Jesus. So we're picking the story back up on day one. And to give us a perspective from someone who was further away from Hughes Chapel that day, I talked with a faculty member who was there from the start. Sarah Baldwin, and I serve as the Vice President of Student Life. Sarah oversees a lot of departments, like chapel services, student career services, counseling services. So everything that supports our students outside the classroom. Sarah heard about the worship service through a text message. So she decided to stop by the chapel on her way to a lunch meeting, and she sat down for a few minutes. She saw just a handful of students there. So I thought, oh, this is a really sweet spirit of worship. She left for her afternoon meetings, but when she came back... Maybe like at 3 o'clock, and I was like, wow, there's so many students here. Like, what is happening? And at that point, then I canceled the rest of the things for the day. As night approached on the first day, there was word that other visitors were going to join. Then we started to get some texts and like students saying, oh, you know what, UK, University of Kentucky, they're going to come down and see what's going on. At some point that night, Sarah and a small group of staff gathered in the downstairs hallways of Hughes. There was this kind of thought of like, oh, we have a lot of people on their way here. Like we're carrying like reports of students coming and okay, well, we need to make a plan to have Hughes open overnight. It just seemed like, yes, of course we do. And so just that's my responsibility. She springs into action and starts sending texts out to support staff. Who can take the 2 to 4 a.m. shift? And I said, I'll take the 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. shift. Can anyone be here at 6 a.m.? So we just kind of mapped it out for the night. And at this point, Sarah's not expecting this worship service to go on any longer than just that evening. We just kind of thought this will be great, but, you know, regular life is going to happen. And the next day, it just continued and more and more college students came. She got messages from one source and then another source. 50 students are leaving from Huntington. There's a van leaving from Indiana Wesleyan. There's students coming from Ohio Christian. What had started with about 15 students was now growing to hundreds of students. They just came all day Thursday, so that by Thursday night, the place was just full of students, and the worship was incredibly beautiful, and people began testifying, doing like times of focused prayer for one another. Students from other schools would come for a few hours, and then they would head back home. And as they departed, the staff would try to get a few minutes of intentional time with them. 
as student groups left, we were like commissioning them in prayer. Greg and other staff would create 20 to 30 minute intervals for students to share. Whether that was a testimony or confession or repentance was really dependent on what was going on with each student that wanted to share. And throughout those first two days, not only were students pouring in, Food was outpouring. People brought like protein bars and protein shakes and granola bars and fresh fruit. And then they started to bring like homemade baked potato soup. And then there was like lasagna and like multiple times we would get 50 pizzas delivered at a time. And none of us were just like from Dan in Tennessee. And we're like, who's Dan in Tennessee? Community members stepped up to help visitors someone else like I'm going to help with housing and so she created on her own like a QR code and the people need to have a place to stay. And at this point, you know, Sarah wasn't necessarily fully calling this thing a revival or an awakening. We wanted to be sensitive to not like put the cart before the horse so to speak, you know, and to like say we don't really know what God is doing yet. Gosh, this sounds so sweet. Like, they're taking care of each other. They're taking care of visitors. Like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, it's very, like, homey and just, like, very family-oriented. But, like, we know that at some point this thing really starts to take off. Like, more pilgrims are going to come to town. Exactly. Okay, so I'm going to use Google Trends to give us an idea of what the scope of this is like. Yeah, like Google Trends helps you understand the history of a search term, like yeah. how popular it was and at what mm-hmm. date. Right. So on day one, it shows that the search term, Asbury Revival, is at 0%. Okay, so like no one is doing Google searches for this thing. Nope, no one's typing it in, no one's looking it up. Okay, so day two, it's at 2%. Okay, so we've got a few folks checking it out. Right. Now, days three and four, local news outlets start covering the event. A religious revival is Some personal video testimonies get posted. And my family and I went to the Asbury Some tweets revival. with videos of students in Hughes singing were posted these days. Now on day five, Google Trends shows the search term Asbury Revival is at 25% popularity. Holy smokes, so like in three days, it has gone up from like 2% to like 25%. Exactly. I think this is a major turning point, because on day five, more smaller news outlets are covering it. Wendy Griffith brings us the story the videos from of the service popped up on social Tweets media. Tweets from this day have videos showing the auditorium filled with people. That first weekend, we were like, this is amazing. Like, what is happening? There's like maybe four or 5,000 people came this weekend. And at one point, Sarah wondered if the flow of people would eventually crest or level out. But that next week, it started to pick up like more and more. And, you know, I would leave really late, like at 1 a.m. and then come in at like 8 a.m. And on my way in, I started to like see people lining up. Okay, day six, Christian Broadcasting Network, they ran their first video about the events. So Alexandra, there is quite Christianity Today runs an article. Okay, I think this is a really good time for me to ask this. Like, I think a lot of people are curious, like, what kind of people were traveling from out of town to go to this thing? Like, what what was just, you know, the common person that was traveling there? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, for example, I talked to a guy from here in Louisville. Mark Singleton. Mark had heard about the events from his pastor. But like a lot of people, Mark also saw social media posts. I'm old, so I was on Facebook. For me, I was very excited, but also assumed maybe it was just something that was tied directly to some specific denomination. I didn't really understand much. But Mark had heard enough that his curiosity was piqued. He asked his wife if she'd be willing to do a quick day trip so they could go see it firsthand. It was about an hour and a half drive. We ended up parking at a grocery store parking lot in the back. We walked over and just asked students, and they pointed to the chapel building. People making podcasts and doing interviews outside of it. You hear the singing pretty loud. I mean, it's hundreds of people singing to the top of their lungs. To describe the atmosphere, I mean, it was definitely a very contagious excitement. They get a spot in the balcony of Hughes. There were people sitting in every section, but there was still, I mean, our pew, they probably could have set maybe 15 people and there was four or five of us. So it wasn't packed, packed at that point. But then uh, that evening, 
it was completely packed And Mark essentially describes the exact same thing that everyone else described earlier. It's not a flashy event. It's literally just simple songs of worship being sung. Testimonies are being shared along with people praying to God, praying over each other. And like, so this is what Mark discovered, like students just, I don't know, worshiping, praying, sharing with each other? Yep, that's it. Man, that is wild. It's just so much more simple, I think, than people would think it would be. Yeah, really basic. And Mark actually ends up going twice in a row. So days six and seven, he does a one and a half hour drive back and forth from Louisville. Now, at about the same time that Mark visits, another big thing happens. On day eight, NBC runs their first article. Whoa, like we are getting out of the grassroots movement at this point. Yeah, we're definitely getting into the big news outlets. And this is the start of when many of the most viewed TikTok videos get posted. About three hours in line. The truth about the Asbury Asbury yesterday. Along with YouTube responses. Myself and a friend of mine, Drew, came just to get On day nine, Mike Cosper from Christianity Today is at Asbury. There's a line at least two football fields long. You know, three or four. And on day nine is also when the president, Dr. Kevin Brown, releases an official statement acknowledging to the public that these events are happening on their campus. Day 10, Fox News runs an opinion piece. And shortly after, day 11, CNN and Fox both run their own stories. Asbury University, which is a private Christian... Meanwhile, the news outlets and social media people who've already released stories and posts, they're continuing to cover it giving real-time updates. This massive worship service good news story to start off. It was pretty incredible. I know I'm not the only Even for those who experienced it, it's hard to define. Some have called it a Christian revival. Oh my gosh, my head is spinning. This is so much stuff, so fast. It is a lot. Okay, check this out. Day 12, Google Trends puts the search term Asbury Revival at 100%. Oh my gosh. This is... Crazy. So, like, day day five was what, 25%? 25%. And so here we are, day 12, and it's gone up all the way to 100%. Like, this is peak. Yeah, it grows in a week from 25 to 100. That's 75% growth wow. in just a week. Wow. And, of course, in a small town like Wilmore, of around, you know, 6,000 people, you can imagine things got intense. You remember sophomore Asher Broughton? Here's how he describes it. Suddenly... Even the combination between Asbury students and the Wilmore town population to have over double that amount of people just show up one day, it was insane and it was crazy. Um, parking was horrible. Sarah said that people from all around the world came into town. Brazilians, people from Chile, so many people from Mexico fellows from Canada, a family from Holland, two families at least that came from Russia. And of course, like all of these people descending onto campus, they needed to get organized fast. Greg told me about how the campus staff and faculty needed to build up an infrastructure. Taking care of super practical things like bathrooms, where people were sleeping if they came, not knowing where they were going to spend the night, how long we were going to leave our doors open what kind of security we had. Asher actually described what it was like to drive in and out of town. Police from all around, sheriffs, uh, officers, deputies, everybody, they shut down the roads leading into Wilmore, and you had to either show a student ID or show a driver's license, which proved that you were a resident of the town to even drive on the roads to get into Wilmore because so many people were running to come. Lexi told me that Asbury's small campus is set up to where there's a few main buildings, including Hughes Chapel, set on this large semicircle. And there's a nice big patch of grass and trees located there. They had set up screens to show people what was going on inside of Hughes for those who were waiting or those who just wanted to come and be outside. So you have every inch of that grass covered. And what's interesting is that there were thousands of people there. And although, you know, there are instances like street preaching and small groups of protesters, the overwhelming majority of people who went, you know, they gave accounts that the atmosphere, once people settled in, was actually very calm and very peaceful. There was one moment 
I had stepped across the street to the seminary to give people pizza there, and I turned back around, and it was like almost dead silent. Because everyone was praying, like together, like on the ground, like kneeling on the ground or whatever posture they could take, and it was quiet, and you just hear prayer. And that was such a peaceful, holy moment for me. So, meanwhile, in the Hughes Chapel, the singing, prayer, and sharing of testimonies is still going on. On many days, you could find Sarah, along with the other staff, in the building. This team of people, like, we were meeting in, like, just a little storage closet behind Hughes Auditorium. And we would just meet, like, every couple hours. And I'd ask the group, okay, so what's next? What are we seeing? What's happening in the spirit? Like, how should we respond to this? Is it time for more testimonies? Greg described how the faculty and staff all fell into their own concentric pockets of leadership. There was the leadership around the order of worship in Hughes Auditorium, the leadership of our cabinet, our president and vice president, leadership of our logistics team. And the seminary had its circle of leadership that was opening up the three or four spaces that they had on their campus and how they were going to create those safe spaces for worship on their campus. That took a thousand small miracles for all those concentric circles to keep making decisions in the same direction. There was no point person calling the shots. Everyone was really falling over each other to be like, how do we listen together to God in this? And like, how do we steward this? Gosh, this is so wild. You know, in less than 12 days time, this little town that I've been to many times, and let me tell you, it is rural, it's remote, and it's now a buzz. And this incredible community of campus leadership is just merging their skills a moment at a time just to love everybody as best as they can. Yeah, I can't believe it never turned, like, dangerous. It's, like, pretty amazing. Yes. And, you know, at this point, remember... Students actually still have to go to class. The campus was a whole new world for these students. They had to learn how to live in it. Here's Asher again. Being a pre-medical student, a lot of my classes, we just don't have the ability, we don't have the option to cancel them and not go to class. It's such a rigorous course load and course schedule that taking a week or two weeks off of classes, it's not feasible. And in a lot of ways, these thousands of people were visitors to the homes of these students, like Lena. During the fall and spring, this is like where I live. This is where I feel safe. This is where I eat. Okay, you know how visitors coming into your home can be great and all that? Yeah, yeah, like you're like so excited. Like, everybody, come over. I can't wait to have this party at my house. It's fun. But (laughs) you kind of want them to leave at some point. Totally, yes. The leaders were seeing like, you know what, our students are our first priority. Our students are tired from serving, but also there are some students that want their home back. And then on day 12, the president officially announced the final date of public worship services. After Thursday of this week, we will conclude our last service in Hughes Auditorium. And so at this point, between day 12, 13, 14, 15, there are still so many social media posts, articles, and videos being uploaded. Clip after clip, Soundbite after soundbite, and people were not shy in stating their this, opinions. Uh, so-called uh, revival, this question. movement. Was it on the rails the to begin with? Um, revival if, you know, is causing logistical issues for this. this and all of these opinions and agendas started pressing in on Asbury as well. As outsiders began arriving in increasing numbers, staff often had to be decisive in how to handle scenarios that would suddenly arise. What, what do you mean? Like what? Well, here are a few examples. One visitor began blowing a ram's horn in the chapel. Oh my gosh. Yeah, staff had to intervene. One guest wore a t-shirt with the message, homosexuality is sin, written in oversized text. Okay. They were asked to leave. Tucker Carlson of Fox News, he made plans to actually attend in person. Oh my gosh. And report on the event. But then the school called him and asked him not to come. So it just seems like, you know, the staff really worked hard to keep the experience from being absorbed into any outside agenda or cause. Yeah, for sure. But it only intensified the public's point of view of what was happening. Even people that attended firsthand found plenty of opinions waiting for them back home. 
For example, remember Mark from earlier? I was excited, super excited. I come back and I'm talking to people about how you know awesome it is. It's a, it feels like a taste of heaven and everybody's super pumped. And I start talking to people and I'm just, I'm kind of feeling the skepticism. My friends are African-Americans shared just concern about how history uh, revivals their majority white context many times haven't produced social change. And some of the other people talked about how you know, it just seemed overly emotional. Yeah, I can understand people's skepticism. You know, it is true that a lot of people get high on a religious experience and then go out into the world and they never actually change how they live or how they treat other people. Yeah, sadly, I've heard that before. Yeah, so people are seeing what's happening at Asbury and they're just, they're asking a thousand questions. You know, is the gospel being proclaimed? Is it too inclusive? Is it not inclusive enough? Will it lead to social change? Is sin being called out? Yeah, it's really important to take these critiques and concerns into account. It'd be unwise to blindly just accept everything we hear. Yeah, the Bible encourages us to wrestle with questions of truth. What is true? What are lies? We need to know the difference. Right. I think we should talk about that. So when we come back, we're going to talk about how do we know if this is a true revival and what's the evidence? Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So... Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Anna Tran. Today's episode, the origin and outpouring of the Asbury Revival. We've been following the story of what people have called the Asbury Revival. Over 50,000 people flocked to the small town of Wilmore, Kentucky to see for themselves if the news they heard about was real. Was a supernatural awakening by God occurring at Asbury University? We've talked about how it started, what was happening, how it spread. And now we've got some questions to wrestle with, right? Right. What is a revival? And how do we know when a real one is taking place? Yes. I mean, those are the big questions. Like, is this legitimate? Is this from God or is this being fabricated by people? Well, to help with this, I'd like to refer to the work of a guy named Gavin Ortland. He actually did a really long video reflecting theologically on the events at Asbury. Oh my gosh, that sounds like it could get a little heady and wordy. Well, it's not that bad. Trust me. But for brevity's sake, there are essentially four key things I think that'll be great to consider. Okay. Give it to me. Number one, addressing the word revival and its definition. Revival is the season in the, of the life of the church when God causes the normal ministry of the gospel to surge forward with extraordinary spiritual power. It is the normal ministry of the gospel, not something eccentric or even different from what the church is always charged to do. What sets revival apart is simply that our usual efforts greatly accelerate in their spiritual effects, God hits the fast forward button. Second thing, criteria for a true revival. The things that do tell you always come back to spiritual fruit. If the revival is producing firm conviction of the truth of the gospel, that tells you something, because Satan doesn't do that. When it increases our reverence for scripture, when it increases our love for God and for others, we must steward revival to keep the focus on Jesus and to keep the focus on the gospel. Okay, third thing, addressing emotionalism. 
The fact that people are responding with lots of emotion is not necessarily good or bad. It just doesn't tell you enough information yet to know. Well, I'll say this. The presence of a lot of emotion may not tell us if it's true, but I will say when there is a lack of emotion, that actually makes me even more concerned. Emotions are essential to deep life experiences. Okay, anyway, anyway, uh, what's the fourth thing? Okay, fourth thing, the reality of church history. Here's the simple fact is that this happens a lot throughout church history and throughout the scripture. The kingdom of God does not advance evenly and at the same rate all the time. Rather, the kingdom of God tends to go through periods of stasis or declension punctuated by these incredible big breakthroughs. And a bonus point, just a note on perfectionism. You can't tell that something isn't a revival just because there are errors and imperfections involved. During times of revival, Satan always comes in with counterfeits. And part of the strategy of that is then people will look to the counterfeit and dismiss the whole thing. I actually really, really appreciate that because I think a lot of people look at something and they go, oh, there's a flaw present, so this can't be from God. And so often it's like, man, human beings are involved. Like, this thing's just not capable of being perfect. Like, we're not in heaven yet. Yeah, I think in another video, Gavin also mentions that the absence of theological sophistication, that's not a good reason to completely disregard the whole thing. Okay, so let me recap. So first, revival is a time period where God pushes the fast forward button on people's spiritual lives. It's like accelerated growth. Yep. Second, true revival can be judged on evidence of spiritual fruit of the people, like an increased love for God and other people, an increased love for the Bible, for the gospel. You got it. Third, emotional responses are not enough to tell us whether it's a true revival or not. Yep. Okay, and then finally, fourth, revivals in church history is not a new or weird thing. It's actually very normal for things like this to happen throughout the history of the church. So, with these things in mind, let's go back to Asbury's campus. On day 12, the president announced that official public gatherings for visitors would end on February 23rd, which would be day 16. And although that service was the official end of the public events at Asbury, for many of the students, it was just the beginning. Here's Greg again. Almost every conversation to a T that I've had with a student, we've looked at each other and said, we're going to be talking about this the rest of our lives. The longevity of its impact is so much bigger than, you know, like, oh, what's the next exciting spring break trip I have? Every one of them are saying, this is something we're never going to quit talking about. Story after story, each person I talked with had clear memories of what they saw and witnessed. Every afternoon and every evening, at least every three hours, we had like a salvation call and a call for full commitment, full surrender to Jesus. And hundreds of people came to know Jesus for the first time. It was so exciting. So remember Asher, the sophomore? He actually told me the story that has really stuck with me. It's this memory he has from the first night of how people responded to a student who went on stage and was sharing how hopeless she was. She got up on stage and she grabbed the microphone and she just shouted out and screamed that nobody sees me, nobody sees me, I'm alone, nobody's here for me. He said that one of the pastors there directed the group to pray specifically for her in that moment. And then this really incredible thing happened. At the same time, about 50 women went over to her directly. All different ages, students, non-students, faculty, community members, all coming together and laying hands and praying over this one girl, praying against her suicidal thoughts, her depression or her anxiety that she had been struggling with for years. After them praying over her for 30, 45 minutes, um, I kid you not, she was walking around and jumping and dancing and had a smile on her face that stretched from ear to ear. I went up to her afterwards and I said, there is such a joy on your face. It's just obvious and evident that the Lord touched her in such an incredible way that those chains were broken. There were so many amazing stories about God at work in people's lives at the revival. 
You know, there's a story of a student's missions trip getting fully paid for, a story about two people with opposite political opinions reconciling their differences. There's a story of answered prayer for physical healing of people's loved ones. People came to know Jesus for the first time. People rededicated their lives to Jesus. And the stories go on. But as life continues on, students know that there's still more growth to come and that guidance is needed. Here's Lena, who was there from the very beginning with the gospel choir. There's a lot of students that never had an experience like this, has never been to church, but they go to a Christian university. And this was the first experience that they had here that was so amazing. And so they need a mentor. They need somebody who is a, like further than them in their walk with Christ to help them and guide them. What happened at Asbury reached out beyond the limits of Wilmore. What do you mean by that? Well, it makes me think of this. Okay, so there were some ladies in our family that saw everything that was happening at Asbury. They were watching it online. Super, super captivated by it. So they were like, let's actually go in person and see what's happening. And here's the thing, like, these are not like ladies that like do road trips together. Some of these ladies are older, some of them have anxiety, some of them are, you know, tend to sort of just stay home more often. But they were so struck that they wanted to go see for themselves. Well, then Asbury, of course, said, well, we're closing to the yep. public. So the ladies were like, well, crud. But they didn't end up just totally canceling. They actually went to this coffee shop and they sat down and they ended up having some of the most meaningful conversation that this group of ladies had ever had together, talking about the movement of God, about doubt, about faith, about death, about hopes, about what is the Bible, all of these really wonderful conversations. And the reality is that they had that moment because of what God did at Asbury. It's almost as if Asbury was a bonfire and these embers lifted up and out and spread across the country into these little pockets, these little moments all over the place. Other colleges, youth groups, dinner table conversations, coffee shops, people excited by the love of God and the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. People amazed to know that God is still with us. He's transforming us and loving us into wholeness. I've been really contemplating that God brings revival not when everything is right, but when it needs to be set right. I mean, revival implies that something is dead or dying, right? And so I, I feel like that God brought this not because like this is a shining moment of faith, <laughs> but because we so need to be set right. We need to be restored in Jesus. And one other thing. We do have to ask, if revivals lead to fruit, what does some of that fruit look like? What do young adults do after an experience like this? Well, 
We're going to answer that in two weeks when we explore stories of young adults leaving their old normal behind to follow Jesus into a world in need. If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Our interviewees, Lena Marlowe, Lexi Presta, Asher Broughton, Dr. Sarah Baldwin, Greg Hasselhoff, and Mark Singleton. Thank you also to Dr. Craig Keener. Also, I encourage you to check out the show notes for this episode. We are going to put some links to some key moments in the episode if you'd like to explore those further. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. This episode was written by Anna Tran with Jesse Eubanks. It was produced and edited by Anna Tran, who the other day I caught with the window open in her office, arms outstretched, saying, yes, Lord, bless me. Food was outpouring, like fresh fruit. <laughs> Music for this episode comes from Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rosevere, and Murphy DX. This show is brought to you by Love Thy Neighborhood. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer summer and year-long missions internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Bring social change with the gospel by working with an innovative nonprofit and serving your urban neighbors. Experience community like never before as you live and do ministry with other Christian young adults. Grow in your faith by walking in the life and lifestyle of Jesus and being part of a vibrant, healthy church. Apply now at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise.